welcome to Pure Solutions Tip Family Podcast. Once again, TIP stands for Trauma-Informed Primary Prevention. My name is Jennifer Rahaus, and I founded Pure Solutions with the community in 1996 in Phoenix, Arizona. Our vision is a world where everyone is safe and treated equitably with respect. This is a world free from harm to self, others, and the planet. And this is also a world free from the harms in childhood. And that's what we're here to talk about. Our TIP Family podcast series focuses on preventing the root causes of child abuse with positive practical solutions with families, youth, and communities. Once again, we're extremely lucky to have Ia Otho, founder of Healing Historical Trauma, with us today to continue the conversation about what we can all do to prevent harms in childhood. We are extremely grateful for the support of the Arizona Child Abuse Prevention License Plate Program through the Arizona Governor's Office. Get your child abuse prevention plates today. Thank you. Okay, let's get started. In the last couple episodes, we discussed the root causes of adverse childhood experiences. We talked about the impact of historical trauma uh, with marginalized communities. We talked about epigenetics, the impact of trauma on our DNA, especially before our young people are even born. And we talked about the impact of trauma on individuals, families, communities, and even society. We know at least 75% of adults have experienced at least one adverse childhood experience, and we know that happy people usually don't feel the need to harm themselves or others. We also know that as parents and adults and caregivers, it's important that we keep our act together, which is the a lead-in to the topic of today, which is managing stress hormones. Stress is something that every single human experiences, and I would bet that everyone listening might like some extra tips on how to manage our stress hormones. This is something I would guess everyone would like a few tips on. And lucky us, this is also a topic Ia Otho has studied extensively. Ia, you understand how it works and then you use actual science and biology to help us manage our stress. And believe it or not, it actually works. And you always hear about these, do this, do that. And the one thing that I've really liked as you pop on the scene regularly is you back it up with science and you're like, oh, if you do this, it actually does change. Um, how we respond to things. So, Ia, tell us about stress hormones. Yay! Um, this is They're so awesome! <laughs> stress they, is great! They, they, yes, it is, and they are. You know, in reality, we, our body is this miraculous thing. We, of course, have stress hormones to adapt to life-threatening situations, right? So we always give the bear in the woods example, right? So here we are in the woods, we're trotting through the woods and we see a bear. Our body is made so that either we're going to fight the bear, we're going to run from the bear, or we're gonna lay down on the ground and play dead. Or, you know, those stories you hear about uh, the mother who picked the car up off her two-year-old's leg so it didn't get crushed. And you think, like, is that true? Well, yeah, it's true because we have stress hormones that allow us to do things that would make us seem um, superhuman. But our body is made to do that. If we see that bear in the woods, our body has a choice, like, because now we're in survival mode. We know that we're in danger. We know that if we don't act, 
something is going to happen. Before we can even think it through, our bodies move into action. So either we're going to run like we've never been able to run before. We're going to be saying, man, I took off running. I can't believe I could even run that fast. Well, normally you can't. If you didn't have that part, part of the neurological system activated, you wouldn't have been able to run that fast. Or, and then I fought the bear and people are saying, well, how did you get, you know, how could you get away from the bear? How could you fight a bear? I don't know. I had superhuman strength. Right. No, you had stress hormones that flooded your, your bloodstream so that you had the strength and the ability to do some of those things. Or when all else fails, if your body knows you're really in trouble, then your body knows to suddenly lay on the ground and play dead. And that's another way we manage stress that comes. So this is all wonderful when we see the bear in the woods. All of these behaviors are adaptive to the, the hostile environment of potentially being attacked by the bear. The problem is that when we experience trauma or hostility on a regular basis, our bodies are always going to be flooded with hormones. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have the problem. Yeah. You know? So people think like trauma means one big event. Like, um, you know, my house burnt down. Or um, I was assaulted. I, you know, a big assault, a big rape, a big thing like that. But the trauma is often the little micro traumas. So... I live in a house where there's domestic violence and every day at six o'clock, parent comes in the door from work, sits down, starts drinking, and then the abuse starts. Then the parent is yelling, screaming, fighting with the other parent, or is going to ask me, have you done your chores? And if the chores aren't done the way the parent wants the chores to be done, then I'm going to be berated. Then I'm going to have something thrown at me. All of those things, those are all little micro traumas that are happening. Your body learns as soon as that door opens at six o'clock, hormones are released because we're now going to be in fight or flight mode. Am I going to be dipping and dodging shoes being thrown at me? Am I going to have to tolerate being berated? Am I going to hear parents fighting? So your body is trained to react to that. So that also means that potentially once you get to school in the morning and you hear a door that sounds similar to the door at home or just the act of a door opening exactly. at school the hormones, you know, uh, rush the bloodstream, and then you're going to start reacting to it. If you know um, a particular smell of somebody's perfume or somebody's cologne, and that smell is associated with some level of abuse, and you smell that smell in a different environment, your body is going to release stress hormones. You're going to react to it. There's a whole number of reasons why the body might release stress hormones and cause you to have behaviors that are fight or flight behaviors. So let's talk a little bit about even what those behaviors will look like. If um, you're flooded with stress hormone, 
maybe you're going to want to fight. So maybe you get aggressive. So the kid that goes to school and punches the other kid in the face and the teacher's going, well, why did you punch him? Well, he looked at me. Well, what do you mean he looked at you? You can't punch a kid because he looks at you, you know, but... And so for everyone else, this doesn't, for everyone, this doesn't make sense, right? Everyone's saying there's a behavioral issue. There's a mental health issue. There's, you know, a diagnosis that needs to be associated with this. No, for whatever reason, the kid has some trauma potentially in their background. Stress hormones were released. There's a lot of stress hormone in the system, in the bloodstream. And the fight or flight mode is at its peak. And so the kid looks at him and he punches him in the nose. So it makes sense. That's the exact behavior that a child should have if their bloodstream is flooded with hormone. The most important thing I think is that we learn that the behaviors that we see when a, when there's a stressor are the appropriate behaviors for that moment. And I think that's a really important piece that kids know, that parents know, that people that are struggling with stress know. Your body is reacting exactly in the way that it's supposed to react. When the child who has trauma in their history punches the kid in the face, it's not a behavioral issue. Behavioral interventions don't work for that issue. Typically what we wanna do is have the kid that punched the other kid in the nose we want to then have behavioral interventions to, quote, teach the kid that you can't punch somebody in the nose or to, you know, have some level of self-control and all of these things. While we can't go around punching people in the nose, we also have to work with the child or the adult on how to manage stress hormones in their system to prevent the behavior. Um, other ways that we would typically manage those behaviors will be ineffective and will be hurtful for the child. What we have to learn to do is start to help the child become aware of when they feel the trigger, right. when they're feeling um, like they're starting to escalate. You know, so for me, um, if I am going to escalate, I always get like a clutch in my stomach, like a <gasps> type of feeling. And then I know that I'm set up to act a fool. And if I don't do something <laughs> with myself in that moment, <laughs> help everyone I'm going you. to, right, you know, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a problem. So we all have to learn. And that's why there's so much talk about, you know, mindfulness and mindfulness and mindfulness and mindfulness being present in the here and now, number one, so that you can identify how are you feeling in your body right now, what's going on inside of you so that you can control your behaviors, number one. But number two, also the importance of the mindfulness is about remembering that in this moment, I am safe. Trauma, um, response and stress hormones have to do with things that have happened in the past. Often we go back to the past and have fear and have reason to have fear. You know, maybe we weren't safe in a previous moment. And so we go back to what was in the past and we react in the present 
over something that has happened in the past and then everybody is looking at you or looking at the child or looking at the person like something is wrong with them when in fact they're just not present in this moment well and you know this is tying back to what we've talked about before in epigenetics right so when you have young kids and they're reacting in a way mm -hmm. that you don't get I think it's really important to look at that epigenetics piece and look back and and see, you know, this trauma may not be from yesterday either. If we look at things from an epigenetics perspective, we can have the epigenetics piece, which is there's a trauma that has happened to an ancestor several generations ago, up to 14 generations ago, based wow. on... Yes, the cherry blossom study teaches us that up to 14 generations, um, there can be trauma passed from one generation to the next. Makes sense. And so you can have reaction from that and have uh, your genetic expression altered because of a trauma that has happened in a previous generation to one of our ancestors that is still carried through to today and affects how I, my genetic expression is or we can have had a trauma from child you know birth from early childhood from last week last month right. last year that if we are still back in the past we will have current reaction to that is look going to look like aberrant behaviors for us and for anyone around us that's the important piece about the mindfulness is um, and that's one of the things that we can do to work with our kids is in this moment, are you safe? Do you feel safe? That is a question I have for you. Mm -hmm. How in the world, and this may be a really easy question for some people, but how do you stay present in the here and now? And, and I get that, like, once you get to the, okay, I'm here. I am okay. I am safe. Mm -hmm. But how do you get there? How do you make yourself... What are some really concrete tips like for that? So you can use, um, there's a technique where you go to, it's called body scanning. Mm -hmm. And you can start at the very tips of your toes. Focus on the tips of your toes. Is there a feeling there? Do they feel numb? Do they feel cold? Do you notice them? Do you feel them? And you can go then to your feet. What do your feet feel like? What do your ankles feel like? What do your calves feel like? What do your knees? And continue on and on through the whole body or continue as long as you need to. You know, maybe you can get to the knees and then you're, you're solid. But Paying attention to how your body feels is one of the ways that you can bring yourself to this current moment. If that's not one that works, maybe even talking to yourself. Okay, all right, I'm starting to feel some type of way. Am I safe? Well, I, okay, well, actually, I, I think I'm sick. Well, yeah, I'm inside. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I have shelter right now. I have food. There's food for mm -hmm. me to eat. If I need something to eat, I'm warm. Am I warm or am I cold? No, I, you know, I think I'm, my temperature is okay. Um, is there anyone around that is, that can possibly hurt me? You know, and so you can, you can do that. 
You can also smell things. You can deliberately pick up something and smell it. Oh, yeah. That's true. To see, like, you know, to, to, you know, maybe I like the smell of oranges. I can pick up an orange. I can smell the orange. It puts me present. Or if I'm sitting in an environment and I can try to smell the things in the environment that are naturally here, what does it smell like in this room? How does it smell in here? Oh, I smell perfume. Oh, I smell somebody's shampoo, hair shampoo. Any of those techniques can pull you back. So use your senses. You can eat things. You know, if you eat something and you focus on chewing it, you focus on how it tastes, it's going to bring you back to here and now. And then you can move forward and um, and act. Does that readjust your stress hormones? So you've got the hormones flying. You're you're you know you're not inside your body at this point. You know you need to come back. You do all this stuff. Is that gonna like change the hormones in your body? When it's you gonna this? take a moment for the hormones to be metabolized in the body. So it can take hours for the hormones to to fully metabolize in the body. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it can start to decrease and, and balance oh, hormone levels. Okay. So it's um, the, the I, I don't want to get into all the science and all this stuff because I don't think, you know, it's necessarily applicable here. And we can do that at another time to, to name the hormones and, uh-huh. and, and all those kinds of things. But the point to think about is when there's behavior that doesn't align with what's happening in that moment if we observe behavior in a child that seems irrational if we look at the behavior we didn't see what could have triggered the behavior we didn't notice something that could have caused the child to react in that way it's a really good thing to start thinking about what is the child reacting to what is the trauma or to really just say Okay, they're reacting to something else in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes as parents, you know, we think everything is about us. Number one, we think we can fix everything. We think we can prevent everything. We think if the child is upset, it's something because of us. If the child doesn't have good behaviors, it's because of us. And that's not actually um, realistic. Tell us more about the impact of stress hormones on parenting and, and ourselves as adults and you know, we're dealing with our kids, but clearly we have to deal with our own selves a little bit. What's that all about? Well, you know, not not saying that you would understand, right. but, you know, for, right. for those that have stress and parenting. Right, which is clearly not me. No, Because no, I don't no. have or any, any temper problem. Par- no, no. I don't have any anger issue. No, no. I'm not a yeller at no, all. No, calm, um, I'm very calm and very quiet. You know what? And my voice is quiet when You're I right. talk. You're you know how quiet I am? Real low. I have to turn it yeah, you have to always ask me. Yeah, and, you know, I know. I'm right. relatable. <laughs> right. Um, you know, the reality is sometimes we think as parents that, uh, you know, we have it all together and we're trying to correct the child's behavior and we don't realize that sometimes our behavior triggers the child's behavior. I mean, that's shocking. <laughs> it's very <laughs> shocking. But, um, hey, let's look at today. I'm trying to come over here and we're trying to record and my son locks himself out of the house (laughs) and it's going to cause me to turn around, go all the way back home to unlock the door, right? So let's say that. 
if I'm in route to go now manage him, I have to pull over for a second and stop and work with myself before I have the interaction with my son, right? <laughs> so I'm going to give you like, oh, this is great because I'm going to give you the real of what just happened about an hour and a half ago. Right. I'm headed over, right? And I'm coming to report po- the podcast. Everybody knows what time I'm leaving the house because I've already talked about this yesterday, right? I've been up since early this morning getting myself prepared. The child leaves the home. The 15-year-old child leaves the home to go work out. Okay, I'll probably be gone by the time you get back. So I get in the car as planned and scheduled. I'm on my way to my destination. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling like I'm in a good space. Life is going well. I'm about to enjoy my time. I'm happy and excited trying to remember the things that I haven't told you that I need to tell you on a personal level. And then I start getting a call, frantic call, one after another after another. And I answer the call and the child has been locked out of the house because when he went to go run, he didn't take a key. Now, in that moment... I want to tear somebody's face off, right? right? So if it's my face, that's fine. But some type of face (laughs) needs to get torn off because you're now interrupting my world, interrupting what I said. I feel like nobody has regard for me. I feel like I'm now late. I now have to call and say I'm late and I don't want to drive back and I'm frustrated. But I can't win a quote fight with a 15 year old, right? Like, so there's no win. Mm-mm. There's no possibility for winning here. So if I put my hat, my parenting hat back on, you know, you think about you, you to go home and have the interaction of your key, you know, why don't you have your key? We already know that there's nothing fruitful that's going to come from the conversation of why didn't you have your key when a, he's now locked out of the house waiting for me to come back because in his 15 year old mind it's my fault because i locked the door which right like i'm not supposed to lock the door okay (laughs) so there's not there's nothing logical that's going to happen in this moment right so i've got to work on myself because i'm now triggered my the stress hormones have flooded as soon as the phone started ringing back to back you're done i'm done the the my i'm already flooded with stress hormone because the phone rang back to back to back yeah yeah okay so now I'm already on a 10. As soon as I see the phone, I'm on a 10. But that's not where I really was because I was really on a 14. I had I text you after I had come down from that 14. Because in my rational brain, I know that there's no conversation to have and people make mistakes. And I have to work through all of this so that when I arrive right. at my house, I just put the key in the door. I open the door, let the child in turn back around, and go back on. In that moment, we have to know as a parent, we have to already have de-escalated ourselves, thought it through, and have a clear understanding that there's no point in conversation in that moment because conversation cannot be fruitful. Do I want to teach him about taking your key and making sure you have your key? Yes, I do. That, however, is not the moment to do that. That's what we have to do as parents. We've got to work on de-escalating ourselves and then talking ourselves through it rationally 
and realizing that in a moment where his stress hormone is already elevated, I should say hormones, are already elevated, um, which he's not as able to de-escalate like I am, right? Because he's 15, he's right. a boy that's 15, all, the things. all of the things. I'm an adult and I can de-escalate. If I go home and I approach him and I start getting ready to talk to him, he's going to be combative, right? Most of us are going to be combative in that state. He's going to be combative and it's normal for him to be combative right. because... He's filled with stress hormone because he's locked out of the house. Mm -hmm. He feels frustrated that he's locked out of the house. He feels frustrated that he's made a mistake. And then he feels afraid that I'm going to degrade him or yell at him because of the mistake that he made. Mm -hmm. So all of, with all of that going on, we as the parent have to control the situation. And that's one of the things. Just know <laughs> nine times out of ten... If you end up in this out-of-control situation with your kid, you probably could have controlled that situation. Yeah. Like, we control the interactions most often. Most mm -hmm. often, we as the adult are in control of the interaction. And if the interaction really spirals out of control, we have made a mistake somewhere. We probably didn't realize something. We didn't recognize something. We didn't acknowledge something. Or we didn't de-escalate ourselves in order to have the interaction. Taking a time out, you know, as a parent is, is one of the things. Like sometimes you're in the heat of the moment and you have to realize when it's time to take a time out. You know what? I can't do this right now. Just give me one second, okay? Step away and calm down. Um, there are some wonderful breathing techniques and the one that I really enjoy the most, that I feel brings me out of crazy town the fastest, is um, breathe in once, <sighs> then breathe in halfway once through your nose, take it all the way to the top of your nose, and then breathe out through your mouth. And that has an actual neurological effect. That's actually affecting the neurology. So doing that a few times is a way to bring it down. So how do you do it? You go, you breathe in through your nose halfway once, then breathe the other to the top of the nose, and then breathe out through your mouth. So in the nose halfway, to the top of the nose the other half of the way, out through the mouth. The chemicals that are in your system are still going to take a while to metabolize, but you have changed some of the neurology in your body in that moment, and you can then be in better control. And then you can do some of the other things that people talk about, pet the cat or take a sip of water and then do some of the other things to really smell the flower, to really bring you down. Mm -hmm. But you've got to get out of that really um, stressed mode before you can do some of the other things that are actually going to work. And what I think is really interesting is that these stress hormones, instead of saying, you know, I'm going to freak out or I'm this or that, you're like, my stress hormones are kicking in. And once we recognize our own stress hormones, and not as a bad thing, like we're having right. a literal chemical reaction to right. stress. 
And, and then it's something that can actually be something you can manage. And you can de-escalate that. And learning all those triggers. We all know our own little triggers. Right. When we're going down. Yeah. And we know what makes us upset. Especially as parenting, right? Because right. your kids, they know. They know the buttons. They learn them from the, probably pre-birth, speaking of. Right. You know? Yes. And, but then once you learn to de-escalate, then you're also modeling that for your kids. Absolutely. So we all got to de-escalate because we all flip. Now, yes. some of us flip more than others, maybe, right. and some of us have a lot more reasons right. to flip. And I love that first breathing thing, and I've mm-hmm. seen it work. I do mm-hmm. it myself. Yeah. People around me do it. Yeah. And then once we do de-escalate like you did with your kid today. And it's not easy. But don't you feel so much better? Well, you do, because then you don't have that out-of-control exchange. Right. And don't get me wrong, I've had the out-of-control exchange, right? Because it You're comes along with being way. a human being, you I know guess, what I mean? Yeah. yeah, so I've had the out-of-control exchanges. But the more you practice having the in-control exchanges, the more you practice your de-escalation the more you develop neural pathways there we go to have the appropriate interactions um, one of the ways um, I was taught some of this information was when you think about taking a pencil and digging it into a piece of wood right like the first time you go through it's going to be hard uh, to to draw that straight line right you're going to shake a little wiggle around then the next time it's going to get easier and the next time it gets easier and the next time and soon you're burrowing this pathway into the piece of wood it's the same thing for neural pathways so if the neural pathways that we already have established are de-escalate flip our lid de-escalate flip our lid de- you know i mean escalate flip <laughs> our lid escalate flip our lid if those are the neural pathways that we have in place that's what we're used to doing. That's what's easiest to do. Once we start to act differently to control the behaviors and de-escalate, creating that neural pathway that eventually will make it easier to stay de-escalated, it's going to get you know, um, imprinted more and more and more in our neurology. So what's a neural pathway? So the neural pathway is um, to... I mean, the easiest way to explain it in, you know, layman's terms so that we don't get all involved in the science is just, um, it's just a a pathway in the brain that um, you're following along that determines the behaviors that you're going to have. It's like almost learned behavior. It's like learned behavior. That's exactly a good word. Exactly. That learned behavior. You have a neural pathway for for particular learned behaviors. Exactly. If I, you know, uh, drive to the store a certain way every day, it's more likely that I'll use that same... um, 100%. Yes. I'll use that same path every day because that's what I'm used to. Which is pretty cool because if we do that, if we model it for ourselves and we learn to do it for ourselves, then it'll become more normalized. But even more importantly, when we think of culture shift and ending these harms against children, we teach these children to do it. And if they're modeling it and they're doing it on the regular, then it's going to become normalized for them and they can even teach other kids. And then it does become a normalized behavior. I think today in our society, it's, this is not something we talk about, but I think we have more stress today than ever. In other cultures that where people are under huge amounts of stress, like, you know, maybe they don't know where they're getting their next meal. Maybe they don't, um, you know, the kids are riding, 
on the bus to school and maybe there's not even a seat for them to sit on on the bus. So they're standing up. The bigger kids are taking the seats. The smaller kids aren't allowed to sit down. There's fighting. There's, you know, back and forth. It's 2000 degrees outside, right? I'm explaining my son being in school in India, right? Yeah. Because this is what it was I'm on the bus going to school in India. A lot of chaos, a lot of stress, a lot of difficulty. But when he arrived at school, the entire school has to come outside on like a courtyard area, right? So, you know, what do we have? A thousand kids, a thousand plus kids in a courtyard. The principal is on the loudspeaker, makes some announcements, and they move into chanting. After the chanting, they move into seven-minute meditation. You could hear a pin drop. Kids from age four up to age 17 absolute, total, and complete silence for seven minutes. So they, before they're even starting their school day, they're de-escalating each and every day. So their neural pathways are developing that, you know, we de-escalate before we go into the classroom. And then in the classroom, we're learning and we also are groomed to have tools for de-escalation. So what happens if we create a cultural norm that, yes, it's chaotic when you walk into the classroom in in the morning, and then there are a series of things that we do, of course, you know, not having to do with religion or anything like that, but just practices that we're able to start imprinting these kids with and, you know, creating neural pathways for that they learn how to de-escalate, you know? So part of that stuff has to do with the culture and how we are, you know, how we exist within this culture. That leads me into the next question, which is great. Culturally specific self-care around managing our hormones. What does that look like? How do we honor that? How do we promote that? I mean, you gave great examples in other countries and how can we do that? When we look at things like traditions, religion, spiritual practices, sports, if we look at things um, like that, so let's say spiritual practice, can we feel comfortable with chanting? You know, if we're a person that can connect to that. Can we feel comfortable with chanting? Can we feel comfortable if we are Catholic and we value the rosary? Can we get on board with praying on each bead through the rosary? These are all ways that we use to de-escalate, right? So these are all ways that throughout history we've had tools for de-escalation and tools for managing ourselves. We've just gotten away from it. Because we're concerned, like, unless we're very focused on being Catholic or we're in the right environment to be Catholic, how comfortable does somebody feel, you know, doing a <laughs> Like, what are you doing? <laughs> right, you know. Or in, you know, Buddhist traditions, there's um, bracelets with nine beads or okay. 18 beads or 27 beads and praying on each bead. Um, how comfortable are we with breathing? You know, and breathing doesn't have is not related to any spirituality. Breathing is life, right? So mm-hmm. breathing has to do with life. 
how um, comfortable can we be doing some of those things? If we want to move even further into culture, can we have a certain um, day of the week or several days of the week or every day of the week, whatever it is, that we cook our traditional foods? Mm-hmm. Um, can So, you know, is there an opportunity for us to do some of that? So we are reconnecting to culture. We are doing something that is that feels good for the body. I think people don't realize how powerful um, something like food really is or how powerful it is to reconnect to your traditional foods or to your cultural food. But it's like living, um, you know, I think about times when I've lived outside of the country and I'm used to eating whatever is in that country, but I always have a desire to have something like being in America, you know, like I want that one American thing. So I'll eat Oreo cookies if I don't live in the country. If I'm living in America, I never eat Oreos. Not because I'm too cute for Oreos, but it's just not one of my favorite cookies. I like cookies. <laughs> I like cookies. You yeah. Know? But I didn't know. Or, or, but Oreos are not, they're, they're just not something I eat. But when I'm outside of the country and I'm longing for that right. connection or that something, I get some level of comfort when I crunch down on that Oreo cookie and it reminds me of being in America or it connects me back mm-hmm. to a particular time in my life. Um, if, if we're talking about people who are maybe Native American and are in alignment with some of the Native American traditions, Sweat Lodge, you know, is wonderful. I used to, before we had this COVID-19 some people go to the bar on Saturday night. Some people go to the club <laughs> on Saturday night. Sweat. I go to Sweat Lodge on mm-hmm. Saturday night. For me, I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I heard my youngest son, and he's been struggling with um, you know, being away from peers and being away from his siblings because of the COVID and dad. And I have heard him for the last two weeks playing the drum in his room so he has a djembe you know an african drum and i'm listening and i'm thinking like where is that who's making up that noise and then i realize it's him you know playing the drum in his room so for him that was a um self-care that's great the sensory things you know all so you like this that's funny because this leads into my next question is how do we normalize self-care with kids to the point where you've got your 15 year old on his own kind of doing this drumming thing and kind of liking it. And, yes. and he, I'm guaranteeing you he normalizes self-care because I'm watching you do all your yoga nidra and all those things you do. Yes. But how do you instill that in kids like to have it be so natural? Because it wasn't for me growing up. Yeah. You do not care about thyself growing up. And, you know, some of us really grew up that way. But I think about what a world we would live in if we had kids learn to take care of themselves, learn to de-escalate, but add that self-care lens on top of that. Yes. And the traditional cultural thing. Um, but how would you um, like just set up a self-care plan for yourself and your kids? Do you, Does it have to be formal? I mean, how do we normalize that? I think the first issue we have is within the culture, there's a lot of guilt around dude yes you are correct 
Yes. Taking care of thyself. Yes. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of, oh, I'm not supposed to do this, or, or um, I, if I can't show up to this, I'm a bad person, and all of these things. I think you have to really emphasize that sometimes it just is what it is. So for me, for example, I always have a lot of things going on. And sometimes I get overstimulated. It's too much. So I feel like the person that could literally, I, I use the expression, I, I'll tell you the expression I use. I usually, I use the expression, I need to just put my head in the toilet. I just need to put my head in the toilet. Because for me, that's the, the, the vision of nobody can talk to me and I can't hear anything anymore because my head is down into the toilet, right? right, right. Um, I could picture myself hands over my ears just rocking back and forth and banging my head on the wall because I'm overstimulated. I have the right to say, oh, oh no, this is too much. Because there's a feeling that in order to be a good person, I have to show up every day and I have to do this all the time and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of this happening. One, we have to take the guilt away from it. Two, we have to ex be able to articulate what we need in this mm -hmm. moment. Yep. So to articulate, I feel like I could sit in the corner, put my ears over, my hands over my ears, rock back and forth, and bang my head on the wall. Right? I'm going to articulate that. And I don't care what you think about it. That's how I feel in this moment. And then say, well, let me see. What do I need to do in this moment? Oh, I'm getting back into bed. Today's the day I'm going to bed. So, hey, everybody. I'm not, I can't do it today. I'm not showing up today. And so I'm going to need to reschedule. This, 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 and this. I'm sorry for whoever I've inconvenienced. Just have to do that today. That's great. We need to just normalize you know? that in and, our culture. And yes. You know, and so and not that we want to become inconsiderate people, not that we want to abuse people, not that we want to disrespect people's time, you know, none of that. But when it's time to do that, you do that. You have to because 90% of behavior is learned through modeling. That's right. And no matter if you own your own business or you don't or wherever you're out there in the world, you're showing people it's okay to take care of yourself. And then you do take away the guilt. And then you're showing your kid too. Hey, dude, all the children's, you can take care of yourself. It's yes. actually the right thing to do. And then guess what? You get up the next day. And you're, in, you're back in the you're game 100%. Right. You don't take that day, the next day is even worse. Exactly. And worse and worse and worse. Yes. And when you're trying to be a parent and survive these stress hormones from you know where, but then when you get to manage it, and, and it doesn't always work, yeah. but then we're, we're creating a culture. We're normalizing self-care. And, yes. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, with our kids, I think one of the big things, um, I had one of... Uh, a, a very close family member that I was helping uh, manage some behavioral stuff and trauma stuff, it may not always be good for the child that is trying to stay home all the time or the child that really doesn't want to go to school. It may not be good to say whenever they decide, like, I can't make it today, and then say, okay, you can stay home. I'm not saying that. <laughs> no. You know, but for that child, you know, that's struggling, you might schedule the days off. So you might say, okay, I know that you're having a hard time, and I'm not talking out of my butt on this because this mm -hmm. is something 
that I have done myself in my own personal family life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I know you're having a hard time. Let's look at the calendar and figure out the days that you can take off. You're allowed to take off X amount of days in this period of time. Let's schedule those days. We pull out the calendar. We look on the calendar. We select the days. That's we cool. thoughtfully, intentionally select days that might be the better days to take. And then we select those days. So now if we have the, the teenager, because this happens what a lot a with the teenager. What a way to validate your kid. You know, that I says, that. yeah, I can't go to school. I don't want to go. I can't, I can't, I can't. You say, right. But remember, we agreed to this day. So let's, we got to make it through these 10 days. And then you get to take that day and let's think about what we can do that's fun and great on that day. And you know what I love? You keep saying we. Yes. So your kid knows you've got their back. We are all interconnected. I almost always use the word we. We can cultivate the necessary compassion to normalize some of these behaviors. If I'm always just thinking about me, 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 and I, 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 and my kid, and my family, and my community, and my, 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 we don't work together, and we don't have, um, you know, the collaboration that we need to create the society that we want. I'm, I think this is a great place to kind of wrap up this episode and move into um, some of our next um, thoughts. Do you have anything else you want to add to this before I close this out? No, I just always want to give that um, little reminder that When we talk, everyone has to remember, too, that we're talking about little bits and pieces, right? There's always um, room to tweak things. There's always, you know, it doesn't work for every single case. Sometimes you have to dive deeper. This is not the be-all and end-all. These are just some ideas that we throw out. Right. And that's one of the reasons I... I think you and I are doing this podcast, but one of the reasons I have you here because it's so practical application, reality based. And we get so caught up in this by rote like thing, like you have to do it like this and no individual is the same. So there's no canned curriculum that's going to, you know, but all these things put together do make a really cool picture. Um, In conclusion, just as a resource again for everyone, we love our child help. Child help also offers a 24 hour hotline staffed in multiple, multiple, multiple languages. I guarantee if you need somebody in a specific language, they'll find it for you. They're also a licensed therapist. They know what they're talking about. Um, it's for all ages, all, any kind of trauma you've ever experienced, uh, pre-birth till now. You can call them and talk about, talk about it. Their number is 1-800-422-4453. You can also look up Child Help Online. Lots of great resources. It doesn't cost you a penny. Um, and we'll have more resources posted on our website. Thank you, Ia. I really look forward to our next session, which is trauma-informed resilience. So how do we take what we've got and, and really put it into action um, for ourselves and others? Once again, thank you to the Arizona Child Abuse Prevention License Plate Program. 